You're listening to Morrigan's Box. The creatures that I have seen mostly have been the, uh, the greys. Oh, what's in the box? In the garage, there was just this one skeletalized remain, and in the house itself. What's in the fucking box? Uh, look, let me tell you something. My mouth is on fire. I've been eating this hot-ass buffalo sauce and my chickens with my black beans, trying to give it some flavor. I put too damn much. I got a hot mouth. I have a hot butthole. You, yes, you're going to be able to shit through screen door. Yeah, I don't. And I had two cups of coffee today, which I love coffee, but like only the expensive coffee I shouldn't drink is full of sugar. So when I'm at home, I just have it black with a little bit of something, something just to make it not too terrible. But I never get the chance to have it warm. I always get to work in and it's cold, but I tried it anyway. And I'm like, I'm going to be in trouble. And now I got this hot stuff on top of it. We're going to, we're going to see what happens, but oh well, okay. It feels like just last week you were also talking about shitting your brains out. I talk about the butthole a lot. Um, and also get made fun of about how I say butthole. And I don't know. I don't know that I say it funny, but I've been told I say it funny. However, you know what? If you do have a, a, like a little shit problem, this whole raping situation and putting things up people's butts like we have with our uh, John Collins that we're going to finish covering today on our episode part three of the Michigan Murders. Hey, what's up? If you're doing that while they're trying to rape you, they're not going to want in there. They're going to be disgusted. They're either going to stop and leave you alone or they're going to probably just kill you right in there because you're disgusting. So just shit on their dicks and they'll leave you alone. That is one of the things that they tell you about in a hostage situation is to make yourself as disgusting as possible. I would do that and just be super, like, really annoying. Like, I know some of them get off like they want they want you to scream and be upsetting. But I would do it in such a way that they would just be fucking infuriated. <gasps> okay, that's enough. Uh, that's not sexy. That's not That's not getting me there. You're just loud and obnoxious. And you sound like a dying coyote. Just be done with it. That's you every day, though. So I just know. be That's what I'm saying. If I just keep acting like myself out in public, I probably won't ever get kidnapped. But if I keep on eating this healthy food and all that, I'm going to be looking pretty good. So I just got to look good, but act a damn fool as I do. And maybe I will never get kidnapped. And I've been yeah. practicing my nunchucks in the basement. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just need something to have on me in person and I can fend my, defend myself. Defend yourself. All right. Mm-hmm. I found a curtain rod too on my way down there and I was using it like Aang, the avatar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was slinging it around. I'm too tall though, so almost at the ceiling, but I'll be all right. I just got to watch what I'm doing. Oh Lord, you're going <laughs> to hurt yourself one day. You're going to tear something up. Oh, yeah. gonna be something's gonna happen, something terribly goes wrong, and I'm gonna laugh. I mean, you'll be the one I call, so <laughs> come get me. I'm just gonna <laughs> laugh. <laughs> I was laying laying in the basement. Ah! <laughs> I electrocuted myself. Well, I, I don't ever keep my phone on me. I'm not like most people. It, you'll never know where you find it. I've I've lost it all the time when I used to work at uh, I used to work at a party city. And I used to be the one that built the planograms and put things away. I don't know how many times my coworkers and stuff would find my phone just tucked away in the merchandise or found under something. Sometimes the customers would bring it to, hey, we found this phone, which, hey, good on them, you know, instead of just stealing it. But if I don't have a phone yeah. on me and I'm laid on the floor, I'm hoping it has that. I haven't played with it. It's brand new. I'm not used to this new technology. I used to my little brick. So I have to figure out if I told it, hey, 
you call so-and-so if it would do it from a distance because I fell on the floor. Well, your problem would be it would still be upstairs and you'd be in the basement and it would never hear you. Oh, it might be upstairs. Yeah, then I'd be in real trouble. <clears throat> okay, well, yeah. hopefully John Collins don't come get me. Well, you shouldn't have to worry about that now. Oh, well, this was back in the 70s, right? So he's a really old or dead, right? Are we going to get into that where he's at now? He's really, he's really old, yes. They're, they're at the end. I will let you know what old Johnny is up to Where now. are they at now? <laughs> where are they now? But anyway, so we left off in the last episode talking about that John Collins was staying in his uncle's home during the time of one of the murders. So that's what we're going to pick back up. John Collins was allowed into his uncle's home while they were on a vacation to feed the dog. Now, the dog was a German Shepherd, which makes me a little bit, I would be a little wary of being a criminal and being around a German Shepherd. They smell that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I don't really know how he was able to manage what he was doing around that. Now, his uncle, David Leek, his wife, Sandra, had noticed that there were paint marks covering the floor of the basement and that there was a couple of bottles of ammonia and some washing powders and a canister of black spray paint that was missing from the home when they returned. She really didn't think anything of it. So she was she was just like, ah, well, he's probably done something with it and no big deal. But it was later found that there was some sketchy stuff going down on that basement, as that would also be where Karen she was the last one to be murdered. She was the one that had been taken from the wig shop. She had been found and her underwear had small three-eighths of an inch hairs on them. And it wasn't hers and it wasn't the murderers. So they were still trying to figure out where they came from. Well, it turns out that they were also found in the basement of the leak's home. There was also nine small blood stains in the basement, and two of them matched Karen's blood type. So she had obviously been there. She'd obviously bled out there, but they still had to do their formal search. The hairs were from Sandra Leak cutting the children's hair before they ever left for their vacation. It was known, well known, that she would take them downstairs to cut their hair to keep it out of the living area is what I'm assuming. There was a forensic analysis done on those hairs, and it did determine that there was a match between the ones found in the basement and the ones found on Karen's underwear. The Leek's neighbors also witnessed that Colin had left with a box of laundry detergent. So, like, back then, laundry detergent came in these big-ass boxes. So that was, he was leaving with that, and another neighbor had claimed that she had heard muffled screams coming from the basement the night of Karen's disappearance. Now, I'm not sure about that one. There wasn't a whole lot explaining that, but she was, and she did end up being a witness on the stand during his trial. Collins was arrested after the lab testing came back on the hairs and the blood, obviously, that had matched what was found. And they were able then to get a search warrant of his apartment and vehicles. Now, if you recollect back at the last part of the last episode, three days before this has taken place, there were some officers had came by and wanted him to come in for a lie detector test. And he said, nope, I ain't going with you. 
And then later that evening, his roommate seen him leaving with a large box filled with what appeared to be women's clothing and accessories. A little bit suspicious. A little suspicious. A little bit suspicious. So Collins was arrested on August 1st of 1969, and that was for the murder of Karen, and he was held without bond. In a press conference on the same day, the police superintendent, Frederick Davids, had said that Collins had been the prime suspect for Karen's case since the day that she had disappeared. And that was mainly because of the other officer that had been a fraternity brother of Collins. So his confirmation of seeing him and his known, his, what he knew about him being kind of rough and angry toward women. And around that same time, things get thrown for a loop. The California police contacted the Washtenaw County Police Department about a murder that was connected to a man named John from Michigan on June 30th. The Washtenaw police did send out two officers and they went to review the case and found that there was a 17-year-old victim named Roxy Ann Phillips that she had told a friend that she had, was going to meet a Eastern Michigan University student named John and that he was living in a camper trailer. Now, they washed, the Washtenaw Police Department was able to track John's movements and they did find that he had in fact rented a camper trailer under a false name with a stolen check with his roommate, Andrew Manuel. Now, Manuel did not return to Michigan with John. After that, they had just left the camper trailer there. John went back to Michigan and Andrew was no longer seen again. After interviewing one of Roxy's friends, she had gave a description that was very resembling the one that kind of matched John Collins and that she herself was even supposed to meet John on June 30th, but he had never showed up to see her. So that was also a little suspicious. Roxy was found in a ravine on July 13th with the belt from her dress tied around her neck and one missing earring and her belongings were found strode all over the state route 68 side of the road so this was very compelling evidence that tied john to this murder in california uh, it's also worth noting that he had told people people knew that he had rented the the trailer and was going to california and what type of vehicle that he drove he didn't change he didn't try to hide anything when he was in california so it was bad planning on him to try to move across state lines and do such a thing. But it was the only time that he did commit a murder that is known outside of the Ann Arbor area in Michigan. Benwell was finally located in Arizona and questioned, but it was proven that he did have no knowledge of the murders even occurring. But it wasn't until April of 1970 Collins was formally indicted for the first-degree murder of Roxy Ann Phillips, but because there was still the case of Karen Beanman that was going on, they had to seal that indictment until after it had closed, the case had closed for her. So it was a little bit of crazy stuff going on leading up to the pretrial of John Collins in the singular murder of Karen. station that brings you all the best in rock news. Hellfire Radio is your one-stop shop for all your horror and music needs. With the amazing talents of Scoops and Mischief, The Rant Commander, Azazel, She Headbangs, and dozens more, 
you can find whatever tickles your fancy. Get your freak on at hellfireradio.com or on the Live 365 app. Like a cold beer after a long day, the Asylum Productions have you covered in all things beer, music, and sports. Discover new breweries on Brews with a Crew, catch up on sports news on Inked and Chattered, and get your daily laugh and music news every weekday morning on the Asylum Morning Show. All on the Asylum.Productions and HellfireRadio.com. Now, I just want to know, though, was she doing something Karen-esque to have warranted her murder? Because sometimes I could see it. I could see why you want to kill a Karen. Well, I mean, uh, thinking back to the last episode, I am going to say that it was very Karen-esque of her to say, I don't know if I'm the dumbest person alive or the whatever person i can't I'm oh this was the one who, the wig, who was who went on a ride with him on his bike exactly okay yeah she was like i'm not sure if i'm dumb or brave and i'm like probably the latter you're probably living up to your name yeah karen just about karen. being a karen all right well i mean i'm not saying uh, i'm not victim blaming by no means but i mean sometimes I can understand why people want to do a merdare. You got to think with your noggin. She obviously was not. Okay. So now we're going to jump into the pretrial portion of this crazy wild ride. During the pretrial, there was a six hour, there were six hours worth of testimonies, non-prosecution witnesses. And that was just during the pretrial. Lord have mercy. Yeah. The judge was Edward D. And he had ruled that Collins would stand trial for Karen's murder. But Karen's murder alone. They did decide that they did not want to try him for any of the other murders. Just because there was such. There was so much more evidence leading to. And there was so many witnesses leading to Karen's murder. That they knew without a shadow of doubt that they could convict him of that one. So they didn't want to try with any of the others that they wasn't able to have that kind of no doubt he's guilty kind of they can at least get him under this murder and have him put away without there being any kind of muddling of the other ones to kind of give people any kind of shadow of a doubt but then they could always re-venture back into those afterwards once he's done been sentenced for one and that one murder could be a long enough sentence that kind of cover the rest but they can get justice for the other ones later on if need be if they can without muddling up this one and ruining their chances of putting him away. They could have. They really could have. And they, they, I think they missed that golden opportunity to be able to. But as we'll see later on, it was really kind of pointless. Um, other than just giving the victims' families a little bit of closure. Yeah. There, there wasn't a whole lot more that could be done in his case concerning Karen's, his sentencing for Karen's murder. September was when they decided that they were going to go ahead and move on with the trial. But John refused to enter a plea. He didn't He didn't enter a plea because they can do that. They can be like, nah, I ain't doing nothing. But uh, the judge can do it on his behalf, and that's what happened. He he gave him a non-guilty uh, plea for him, uh, exactly. the judge, judge, judge John Conlon. Exactly, yeah. He, he entered the plea of not guilty for him on his behalf just so that they could keep that going, more or less, just because if he pled guilty, then... Nobody was going to hear the story. Nobody was going to, you know, be able to. It was going to get it would have been easier to fought it on the defense's side if he'd they'd have just 
said he pled guilty for him. But Collins' attorney challenged the, valid the validity of the evidence seized from his home and the vehicles, stating that Collins had not given consent for the search. The judge rejected the attorney's challenge, and in October, the case did continue on. And then again, in November, the attorney of John's, he wasn't a court-appointed attorney at this point, mind you, he had convinced John to take a private poly polygraph test. I can't, my mouth won't do words today. And then three weeks later, he suggested that Collins plead the insanity of insanity defense. I'm telling you, it's awful today. But this was also whenever John was able to have a meeting with his family in the judge's office, in the judge's chambers. And John's mother immediately refused the idea and dismissed the attorney of, from the case. She would then later go on to remortgage her home just to pay for a high-priced attorney out of Detroit. And in January of 1970, he did begin as Collins's attorney. And it doesn't amaze me how often people, out of like pride or anything else, will not use the insane, uh, insane defense even if it would work in their favor, even if obviously it's not the case. I mean, that happens all the time. People use it just to get out of stuff, but some people won't use it just because they don't want to be labeled as insane. It's like, you're going to be labeled as a murderer. So does it really matter what happens right. at the end of the day on that one? I think in this case, his, his mother was very delusional. I mean, obviously she's the one that put him through all that childhood psychological trauma of having and introducing all of those abusive father figures into his life at a very young age mm -hmm. for one. Just to start it off. And then number two, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that if they did take an insanity plea, that would just automatically mean that he's guilty. That's what they were thinking. It's automatic guilt. Well, it is, but also yeah. you, you get away with a lot more. But I think, too, I was going to say, what an idiot for her. Her knowing the stuff he went through and how she poorly raised him. Why would you remortgage your house knowing that? You know, then you get this expensive attorney knowing that he's more than likely guilty. Like she has to think that in her head. But maybe because of that, she's thinking, oh, if he's guilty, it's going to reflect poorly on me as a mother. I've got to try really hard to make him not look guilty. So yeah. that's kind of where my brain went with her. Probably. And it probably was. But she was also very prideful. And I think that even stems back to the fact that she never would admit that her ex-husbands, when John was young, were as bad as they were she was she was very delusional probably had some of her own mental illnesses i'm not going to say that she did but she does exhibit some of those behaviors of as a battered woman the abuse the trauma from that that that's mm -hmm. kind of stemming from it and it's just she's kind of putting it and she's taking it and she's using it in john's defense of her own kind of thing i guess is what i'm trying to say but the trial was set for June 1st of 1970. So we're in a new year now. We're in the 1970s. Among those who would testify as witnesses was the wig shop owner who had last seen Karen alive, Collins' roommate, Arnold Davis, who had seen Collins leaving their apartment with a laundry detergent box full of women's clothing and accessories, the leak's neighbors, Marjorie Barnes, who had seen Collins leave his uncle's home with the same laundry laundry detergent box, the leaks themselves, and in total there would be 47 witnesses that would appear for the prosecution. My goodness. And this went on for months. It had to. That Just the witnesses. 
uh, there, and then there ended up only being five witnesses that would testify for the defense. And a lot of those witnesses were handpicked by the attorneys to try and disprove. I mean, I guess that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, that's their job. Witnesses of the defense. It's, it's their job to pick witnesses that are going to disprove everything. But they were reaching so hard to try to disprove the hair fiber, the hairs that were found in the basement, the hairs that were found here, that there was no, there wasn't enough substantial blood to warrant that she had been murdered there in the basement. There was a lot of different things that they were trying a little too hard, I think, to get disproved or thrown out. And then there were some things that, I mean, I kind of did see it. Like, yeah, there was only nine little drops of blood that could be found but there was still blood and two of them were matches to Karen there was also the def- um, the um defense's witnesses said that because the leaks would not provide blood samples or their blood type because back then it wasn't DNA or anything like that it was just blood type matching that's all they could do Karen had type A blood Two of the nine spots were type A blood. The leaks wouldn't provide any of their blood type or their blood samples to cross cross confirm. And I think the defense really tried to use that as well. Very hard and heavy on disproving the prosecutors. I need someone who is really into the uh, blood analysis and DNA uh, forensics and all that to get let us know in the comments or send us a message. How long, or maybe you'll know, uh, Kilo, how long can they keep those blood evidence, you know, swabs and things to like today? Would they be able to have went back and d- determined, yes, that was definitely hers? Yeah, they did. Uh, well, it's not with the blood for the, of that particular case, but they've kept it for years and years, just like we talked about in our first episode, the D'Angelo case, they had samples for over three or four decades that they were able to finally cross-examine. When so they I wonder how DNA. long it stays viable. Maybe maybe forever. I don't know. Maybe DNA is DNA. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with how it's kept, how well it's kept up in the evidence bags. It's properly sealed, that kind of thing. Um, like I was telling you whenever I was doing my relate my um research, they weren't they weren't very good <laughs> at what <laughs> they were doing. good at it. So there probably isn't a whole lot of viable DNA evidence left over. But just for the fact of what they can use in court, that just depends on what it is that the person's being tried for. Like we talked about in the D'Angelo case, I'm gonna go back to it. They wasn't able to try him for any of the rape cases because statute of limitations prevented them for after, I think, I think it was three years, if memory serves me correct. They could not, after three years, the cases were null and void. They were only able to charge him for the murders and the burglaries. Same way with this. If they had only been rape cases and no murder involved, they would have never been able to have tried him after three years. In California. Now, I don't know about other states, but in California, I'm almost positive statute of limitations is only three years. So. I uh, like that. I don't either. I really don't. I can see it from like silly things like, haha, you didn't catch me with that speeding ticket or <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, something really dumb. But anything like that, that 
I don't care when it was. Once you, if you got found out that you did some kind of significant crime, like especially rape, then yeah, I don't care how long it's been. I still remember being raped. It, it didn't go away in three years, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we will see later on in the in the court cases. Well, it, actually, it'll be in the aftermath of the court cases how long this evidence did stay in after even after he had been convicted. They were still using his DNA and the DNA collected from these cases elsewhere as well. So we'll we'll see that here toward the end of the episode. On August 19th of 1970, John Norman Collins was unanimously found guilty of first-degree murder of Karen Sue Beanman and was formally sentenced on August 28th with life in prison without the chance of parole. So he was not able to even get parole after he had been sentenced. Collins would go on to appeal his conviction five times between the date of his sentencing up until 1976, and obviously they had all been denied. Now, the Monterey authorities out of California had made several attempts to have Colin extradited for the murder of Roxy Ann Phillips. However, in 1972, the attempts had stopped, and in a formal announcement, the authorities said that because of his life sentencing in Michigan, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a good idea and it would be very undeserving of priority attention just because Collins would not be able to serve his sentencing in California. He would have to go back to Michigan to finish his sentencing. So I think, and I'm wondering if there's anyone out there listening that's that knows these kind of things. I want to know if someone in this case with Roxy and the other uh, other five murders in Michigan if they're not tried is it just understood if like there is a there is real good reasons like in his case there's really good reasons to believe he's the one that did it it's it's kind of been an un an unspoken thought with everyone does that work as closure or is it just like unanimously we're gonna say he did it but he's already serving a life sentence and there's nothing more that we can do. Well, like I said earlier, like it, it wasn't going to do much more good as far as sentencing goes. He's already going to do what he's doing. But for the exactly. family, it's just having that confirmation of here's the person that did it. And he's, yeah, you know, just that way they know for sure. This was it. He's been caught. He's not still on the loose. You know, it's just justice that way. Not necessarily to, for any additional punishment because you can't do more than that, but just having their name attached to that list of here's why he's here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would, I mean, for me, just knowing if I knew like truly 100% felt that he was the one that did it, I would feel a little bit, you know, at ease, but I wonder if there are cases out there that they just say, Oh, well, so-and-so did it. Oh, there's been plenty of them like that, like especially around this time. And after him, we've been moving further into the 70s with your Henry Lee Lucases and things like that, with how big numbers they supposedly had. Lots of times these uh, units would just throw a body on to say, close, we're done. He did it. And there's not really significant proof to it. And some of those serial killers would be like, yeah, that was mine just to put it on their total because they like having bigger numbers. And they would do that just to be able to close the case and say I'm done, even if they didn't do any actual work to prove it, right. which I think is, you know, it's shady. 
I mean, I guess family don't necessarily really know, and maybe they gave him closure regardless, but it still doesn't make it appropriate. Right. And it doesn't make it, it doesn't really justify what actually happened, especially if the one that did do it is still running around loose. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, pretty shitty on that part. So Collins was, as I said, never tried for the other five murders in Michigan or the one in California. However, there was plenty of circumstantial evidence that would have convicted him. Um, in the case of the first case in Mary Flesser's, she had a Canadian silver dollar necklace that she wore every day. And it was found in John's dresser when they searched his apartment. Arnold Davis did inform the police that he had, they had picked her up. This is the one where we said, was there an accomplice? Because there was three young boys picked up Joan Shell from uh -huh. the bus stop on her way to Ann Arbor. Arnold said, yes, I was with him. I was driving. We picked her up. But she had, he had insisted that he drive her to Ann Arbor in his own car alone. And that was the last that he had, that Arnold had saw of them. Arnold had also confirmed that John and Alice Combe had been together the night that she had disappeared. Arnold stated that she, they were both arguing and she ran out of the apartment and John chased after her and the two were never seen again. Because of the mistakes made by the two Ann Arbor detectives, that was actually a breach of Washtenaw's prosecutor, prosecuting order by going over to Collins and Davis's home three days before he was arrested. The evidence that Arnold had saw John leaving the apartment with that had the box of women's shoes, bags, pieces of blue jean, that might have still been there if they hadn't have just went out three days before anything was going on, before the prosecutor was a confirmed, like, not confirmed, um, told them that they could, approved them to go over there. That might have still been there and they might have been able to have charged him with instead of one count of first degree murder five counts of first degree murder so that's that's another reason why I said they weren't doing a very good job <laughs> and I feel like that isn't just I'm not saying that's a reflection of the department or if by any means but these two individuals should have known their place and stayed there and that probably could have helped get him officially charged with the other murders yeah, there's plenty of times because the law is so fickle with the different things and it shouldn't necessarily matter in some cases, um, but like having warrants and things you make sure you do things at a certain time, being read the Miranda rights, literally not saying one thing can be enough for someone to nitpick at and they can turn it around and use it against them. Um, like earlier when it, you spoke about uh, not having on, he went into, when they went and got the, the evidence he didn't give him permission to consent to do so but thankfully that judge was smart enough to be like i don't really care if they have permission i mean there's evidence so take it uh there are situations though where it's not the case they're like well technically the law says do this and you didn't do that so we're not using that part as evidence even though fact and logic tells you here it is the law says well because you didn't do it in order you didn't go one two three you went one three two well now we can't use that and i think that's beyond ridiculous like that, that really yeah. should not matter how, what order it happened in As long as it's legitimate and there and it happened, use it. But that's not how the law works. That's like the whole thing with yeah, the Casey well, Anthony case. The only reason yeah. she got off was literally not because there was a shadow of doubt, but because her fucking lawyer gave them a reason to doubt. And there's a huge fucking difference in that. But it fell through the cracks and here she goes. She's running around walking free. So it is so 
so meticulous and fickle at the same time, but it's it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and then they're still the same, like like in the very beginning of all this, back when the first murder or the second murder occurred, and they went over to John's house and said, Where were you on this night? Oh, well, I was out of town. I was seeing my, my mom in Detroit. Why didn't you find out his mom? Yeah, he wasn't. He was actually in his uncle's house killing people. So that I was wonder if the they would have called her like they should should have done and or went and seen her if she would have lied about it anyway. I think if he'd gotten to her first and told her, she probably would have had. I really do feel like she would have. But who's to say? Who is to say? I wanted to throw out there too. I did do a little research while you were going over that. Um as far as those statutes of limitations on rape, uh, nationwide, 34 states and Washington, D.C. do have statutes of limitations on fil- filing for rape or sexual charges. And it can be anywhere from three to 30 years. Each state's a little different. And I think I worded differently about being charged. I don't think it matters when they get caught. They can still be charged with it. It's just you have to file for yeah. that in that statute of limitations. Like it doesn't keep them from being innocent or not later on it's just if you don't say something about it within that three to 30 years depending on what your state is that's where the limitations come in now i do know there are crimes that do have that there there may be something for rape as well but i don't think like like with murder like i don't know if there's a statute of limitations on murder either like you did a crime but you don't get caught until 50 years later i'm still think you're going to jail for that murder and i think it's the same with rape it's going to be statute limitations on other crimes would be like fraud or something something like that where they actually don't prosecute at that point because it's so long ago or what have you but um that's what this meant it was for how how long they have to file these uh claims or what have you and i didn't see california per se but i know minnesota's three years connecticut says it's five uh anyway some of them go up to 30 so well that's interesting little little fact you did you dug up there i did the thing I've done a thing. I contributed. (laughs) (laughs) So, on down the road in 1980, John Collins legally changed his name back to John Chapman, which was the name of his birth father, and made a formal request to transfer to a Canadian prison. Now, the reason why he did, I mean, changing his name didn't change who he was. He had a dual citizenship because he was born in Canada, but he lived in the United States. It was kind of one of those things. It it was at a time when if you lived right there on the edge, it was really kind of blurred of if you were a U.S. citizen or not, where you were born. John could have then been eligible if he had gotten a Canadian transfer because he was a dual citizen, he could get transferred to a Canadian prison. And he would have then been eligible for parole or parole after serving only nine years in Canada. And go figure, the application had been granted, but it was quickly reversed after the public just lost their minds. And there was a huge outrage on the matter. Rightly so. I feel like rightly so. So that was very interesting and of the whole matter of John now Chapman he's a Chapman now on July 11th of 2005 so these these murders occurred 
what did I say, 68, 69. In the case of Jane Mixer, she was, she was killed in 69. 62-year-old former nurse Gary Earl Lederman was charged with the murder of Jane Mixer after DNA testing advancements found, that, found Lederman's DNA on Mixer's stockings. So she was the one that was that little outlier because she had the gunshot to the head and it nothing not everything lined up just perfectly so so with her it did end up that she was not killed by john collins she was killed by gary earl lederman and but that's what 70 80 90 you got the 30 years give give or take 30 years that DNA was still available for them to cross-reference. So now, which so one kind of, was that that was actually killed by someone else? Jane Mixer. Is that the one that had the Catch-22? Yep. Okay. So I'm going to do some research on Gary Litterman and see what he has going on. That might be some kind of little puzzle game for me. There you go. Um, I also wanted to point out, and I'm always gripping about um, why do they care about using a polygraph? They're inadmissible in court. Why why they want to do the thing? But um that was for some of our like later later investigations and things that we talk on, but for him, because this was 1970, and then even when they uh tried offering it to him again in 1977, where he denied it, at this point it still was used uh as a defense and that it could be used to uh, get a um like a ruling or what have you, but it was in eight. 1981 is whenever the polygraph became inadmissible in court. So now they can't use it at all. You can use it for a tactic or what have you, but it's you can't take it in the court. But like, here's the thing: it said he lied. It doesn't work like that anymore. Um, and I've always bitched about that. With current ones like, why even bother using it if it, you can't use it as uh, facts? But like people have said before, it it still scares people and might, might make them say yeah. whatever. Might, might bring a confession just because they're you know they don't want to do it or they're scared of it. You know, it is a, it is a good tactic to get to the answers, but it is inadmissible anymore. So, but at that time, 1977, if he had took it and more than likely would have failed it, he could have been very well nixed. Yeah. Well, well, maybe, but obviously it, uh, after, what did it say? Three hours of trying to, uh, yeah, a throw. No, sorry. never mind. What's um, going on? I can't yeah. ever tell when you just stop talking or it's, <laughs> oh, I lost you. I was reading. I'm sorry, but yeah, I guess because that he obviously would have had to have failed it if his attorney was trying to convince him to take an insanity defense. Thankfully for him, it was a private sort of their own little the defense's own little side quest they did on the polygraph, and it wasn't something that was court ordered because they probably would have been just like straight off and like, nope, you're out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> straight to the back. So today, what is the little Chapman doing today? Well, he is currently serving his life sentence in the administrative segregation at the Marquette Branch Prison. He continues to maintain his innocence of the murders of Karen Sue Beanman, as well as the other murders that were linked to the Michigan murderer. Despite having refused the 1977 offer to submit to a further public polygraph test. So he keeps saying, I didn't do it. It ain't me. It was the other guy, you know, like they do. 
as one does when in prison, it seems like. There have been very few that I had ever met that was like, yeah, I did it. (laughs) But he did have the chance to take that public polygraph test instead of the private one, and he denied he didn't want to do it. So kind of proves your guilt there if you're not going to be public about it. But and then again, that was also during the same time that you were just saying that polygraph test would have been very incriminating in the court of law. Yeah, at that time, for sure, since it was still actually applicable. So it's really strange that they gave him that opportunity to clear himself and he didn't take it. Very strange. I want to give a couple little shout outs. Can I do a shout out? Is it OK for me to do a shout out? You always do the shout out. You always do the shout out. So I'm feeling a little out of my element. You today. Shout out. I can I can shout it out above the crowd. Shout it out above the crowd. <laughs> Even if I got shout out loud. Yeah. You, you got to shout out loud every though. I will shout out with you. They didn't turn it off. Them 90 kids were like, yes. <laughs> yas girl. Queen. <laughs> yas queen. <laughs> Prince rather. I think he was based off Prince and some other folks. <laughs> Probably. I, I think Probably. like the main but anyway, inspiration, but anyhow, that's not here nor there. <laughs> here nor there. Another episode. So I want to <laughs> shout out the damn podcast over on Apple Podcast. They are hilarious. <laughs> they are hilarious. Go give them a listen. If you like what we're doing, you're going to love what they're doing. They are from across the pond. They are based out of the UK, Great Britain area. And I love them. I think they're hilarious. I think you'll really enjoy it. So hop on over there. Give them a listen. If you like what you're hearing, make sure that you leave them a review. Give them some stars. Tell them that us over here at the Morgan Network say hello. And we love what they're doing. Another shout out that I want to give is to the Straight to Hell Toy Company. Now, let, let me just say. That's where I we're going. want to start collecting. <laughs> Other than that. I so want to start collecting these awesome three and a half inch figurines of your favorite or not so favorite serial killers and strange people worth mentioning, I guess is what you could say. Um, I was talking about them in the episode yesterday of the Zodiac, our little Zodiac special that I did. And I find it very humorous. I'm going to I'm going to tell it here. They he, they have made the Zodiac figurine as well as a Ted Cruz figurine that looks like he's wearing the Zodiac's outfit. <laughs> and I'm scrolling along and I was like, it's the same person. I don't understand. It's I don't the same understand. guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was quite quite comical, quite hilarious. Gave me a little bit of a chuckle. Some of them are, you have to have a morbid sense of humor to get it. But... Go give them a look. They're on Etsy. I will leave the links to both of my shout-outs in the description below. So, yeah, I'm super excited. We have people We have people that want us to talk about them on our show. Doesn't that make you just feel all warm and fuzzy inside? No, no, no. Say that one more time. One more again. We have people that want us to talk about them on our show. Where you're referring to damned and um, the other one. <laughs> straight to hell. <laughs> straight to hell. Um, you think I would remember that one, you know, Hellfire Radio, Straight to Hell. Uh, but you know what? That's kind of funny, though. We got Straight to Hell and the Damned. And, you know, I'm not sure if they're 
highly aware of Morgan's box being linked back to Hellfire Radio. Um, but that kind of goes hand in hand. And that being said, make sure I go check that out um, via the Instagram, the Facebook, Twitter, all those things, Hellfire Radio and the Asylum Productions. We run on all those sites. And you can also visit the Patreon for the Asylum.Productions and get some behind the scenes footage, some photos and things of that nature. Uh, and then if you're into this kind of stuff, you might be into all other things we have over there. We got paranormal things. We have weed culture, beer reviews. And then, of course, music itself. We That's what we do. We push rock and roll. We share local music, try to get it up and going. Um, but, yeah, I I kind of got a little lost because I was I was looking at the damned podcast. I was going to go follow them, give them a like, subscribe, because that's what we do. We like, share, subscribe each other, help each other out. Y'all do that for us. We do it for them. All of our listeners do also help support. Lifting each other up. That's what we're about in these trying times. I lift you up. That's a song. I'm pretty sure it's a song. <laughs> I think it was on like a, one of those ASPCA commercials. No, that you're thinking about. Okay, so I'm going to tell you exactly. Like, you're going to learn. Everyone, sit back. We're going to take a little road trip. Do you remember when you would fall asleep on the couch and you wake up in the middle of the night? Uh-huh. Not the George Lowe. Oh, no, this is the one talking about all those CDs that you can buy for one low price of $69.99 for 40,000 payments. Yeah. That's what that song is from. <laughs> I just, I, I can hear that lyric clear as day. I don't know who mm-hmm. sings it, what it's about, but you're right. It is for one of those. What, who is that? What is that about? Because <laughs> it's, it's very old school. Like the, I lift you up. It must, it must be gospel if it was like that cheap for a whole bunch no. of songs. No, I think it was, you know what? Now I don't, don't remember and I'm going to have to find it now. So you'll have to check our social media accounts for that commercial because I'm totally going to share it when I find it. <laughs> I bet if I went there and sang it to Ma, she know exactly what it is. And I'm guaranteeing you it's a church song. I'm singing. I don't think. Bet. All right. Next. Oh, wait. We won't be here for Will Ball while with the holidays. No. Well, no. It will be in January. We'll, we won't be back till next year. Oh, my God. Look, we come back. There's going to be the intro. I'm going going to be the this song that we're doing. And bet, bet. Started off the new year with a bet, what it is, where it's from. And if it's a gospel song, I win. If it's whatever garbage you're thinking of that you're wrong about, you win, but you're not going to. Um, we'll have to think of a bet, uh, a reward. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure I know what it is, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. I'm going to let you think that you know what you're talking you're, about. No, you need to say uh, right now on record. Because otherwise, you're just going to go Google it. You're probably Googling right now because I can't see you. And you're going to make me look bad. <laughs> I'm 100% not Googling. I'm, not Googling. I'm, I'm thinking of the lyrics. I'm thinking of the lyrics in my head. Because I, I, next I just know that part. <laughs> and it's not you raise me up. It's I said lift me up. Me. I lift you up. It's like that. Real, no, it's you lift me up. saggy no, sounding. Saggy? <laughs> Like I said, like, oh. okay. <laughs> Not like mine. Mine ain't big enough to sing. My lanta. <laughs> okay. Well, I've just had about enough fun with you today. So, you have anything else to tell anybody? Uh, yeah. Tell them then. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. I, I don't have nothing else. I just want to have the last word because I'm petty. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's you are, petty. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, call me petty. Call me petty. <laughs> um, I did. I did. Uh, I was gonna point out that we won't be back. We already talked about that. Uh, we'll be following back up with y'all, beautiful peoples, right after the new year. We're gonna take a little hiatus just so we can get things all planned out, get some great material ready for you. But we're gonna be busy with some travelers around this time, and we got a lot going on. We have a 12 hour live session actually on New Year's Eve through Hellfire Radio. So definitely make sure you check that out. It'll be through the Facebook. We're going to have a lot of fun. You get to know a lot of our team members on there. We got all kinds of really cool stuff coming up in the new year. I'm super excited about it, but we're going to be super busy getting it ready for you. Do not miss it. You're going to love it. And if you have some suggestions that you want to hear coming up in the new year, make sure that you email them to us at themorgan.info at gmail.com because we are here for you. So we want to hear from you. So we want you to give us the, the suggestions telling you this mouth ain't making words today. It's like I'm having a stroke. You, We want to so, hear your suggestions 100%. Send us whatever you got. However, don't be basic because 110% guarantee we're going to go ahead and cover all those heavy hitters that y'all want to hear. We understand. We know it. We'll get to it. But we want to wait until the, the perfect opportune moment for those. Uh, if you do send them, I'm going to be mad about it. But I'm going to be like, duh, of course, we're going to do those. But give us some more like offshoot things, things that you're not very familiar with. And then maybe for some of y'all, those heavy hitters might be something you're not familiar with. So just send it. Send it all. We'll take it. Uh, and it doesn't have to be serial killer. We've been on a little uh, run here on that because of how long this one took. But we do everything. Conspiracy theories, supernatural, cryptids, serial killers, uh, just anything ooky spooky, mysterious. Send it to us. We'll cover it. We'll try our best. Absolutely. We are we're gonna get it out there. Next year's gonna be great. We're gonna have so many big things going on, as well as our True Crime Tuesday and True Crime Specials, because those are gonna start happening a little more now every now and then. And our documentaries and chill episode. So if you have any of those suggestions, send them to the email. It's in the description. You have no excuses. Anything else? Nope. I'm done. Okay, I'm done. All right, then. Well, as always, stay sexy and don't get murdered. Hey, all you beautiful people. It's Kilo here from the Morgan Network. I hope you all are having a wonderful day today. So I just wanted to let you guys know that we are going to be taking a little break from the murder and chaos to enjoy the holidays with our families starting on Friday, December 18th. But fret not, we will return on January 5th with a shiny new episode of True Crime Tuesday, and then again on the 7th with a whole new season of Morgan's Box. With a new season comes more wild and crazy topics to talk about and interesting interviews with surprise guests. But we can't do that alone, oh no. We are here for you guys, so we want to hear from you guys. And that means we need you to send us your suggestions to themorgan.info at gmail.com so that we can add your ideas to our list. Also, don't forget to check out the merch that we have available on our Instagram and our Twitter pages. Get yourself a cool Morgan Network shirt or a koozie, maybe even a sticker, something to brand yourself as a member of our Crow Murder. We love you all, and we cannot wait to see what's in store for this new season. <laughs>